Good morning. Glad you're here. I'm excited to be here. Um, ready to get into God's word this morning. We're going to continue. We'll be uh, again in the book of Acts. And uh, today specifically, we'll be in Acts chapter 20. And in just a second, we'll begin reading there in verse 17. Um, before we do that, I do want to remind you again, I know they mentioned in announcements, but today we are having connect group signups. Um, and so if you're um, not in the college age bracket, um, I know some of you like 10 years or so in college. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about if you're normal four, maybe five years in college, uh, those groups are going to sign up in a couple of weeks on the 19th and 26th. Today, it'll be non-college groups. Um, and so if you aren't in a group, really want to encourage you to get in one of those. It's, it's life transforming. God uh, calls us to live in relationship with him, but also with each other. And so I uh, hope you'll take advantage of that and meet some of our connect group leaders in the atrium today. The second thing I want to mention to you is this Tuesday, we'll kick off our prayer times that we're doing. Um, there'll be a prayer time at noon on Tuesday and then on Thursday and then Friday morning at seven. We'll also have a time of prayer where um, you can come uh, and be prayed for if there's something that uh, you'd like to be prayed for or something going on in your life. Um, we'd love to pray for you, um, but also coming to pray and just to seek God, uh, to pray that he'll move in a mighty way, uh, not just in Connection Church, but um, in every church, in every community in the world, uh, that Jesus will be glorified, that he would be glorified um, as he reveals himself in Christ. And so uh, we're going to be doing that. Um, and so I want to invite you to that as well. So Tuesday at noon, Thursday at noon, Friday morning at seven. All right. So let's get into Acts chapter 20. Um, in this chapter, we're looking at Paul. Paul is now making his way from one of his missionary journeys back to Jerusalem. As he's going from Jerusalem, we're about to see where he has a uh, a meeting with the elders or the pastors in Ephesus. Uh, he stops in a little uh, town called Miletus. Um, in this town, uh, he sends for the elders. They come to him, and I want us to look at what Paul says to them because I think it has huge implications for our lives just as much as it did for theirs. And I really today want you to see the power of, of relationships, the power and, and the transforming power of relationships, but also what it takes for us to be able to see those relationships happen the way that God desires them to happen. And so chapter 20, verse 17, it says, from Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you from the first day I came into the province of Asia. I served the Lord with great humility. I want to point that out again. He, he begins by telling them, you know how I lived. And then he says, I served the Lord with great humility. He says, and with tears. And in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents, you know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I've declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. 
However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. We'll stop there and pick up with the rest in just a minute. So let's pray together. God, thank you so much for your word, God, today. Um, Lord, I, I pray that our eyes will be open to see, God, who you are more clearly, to see what you've done through Jesus more clearly, God. Um, God, I pray we'd see the power, the transforming power of relationships with God, first with our relationship with you, but then also, God, with others. Lord, and I pray that through those relationships, your character, your nature, your attributes, God, would be more clearly seen than ever. Lord, we thank you and love you that, God, you first loved us. Thank you for showing us that love in Jesus. In his name, I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, how many of you have ever um, seen someone do something that inspired you? Anybody ever been inspired by the actions of someone else? And most of us have. You're not going to raise your hand, but most of you have. And so... Um, I was thinking about that and thinking about a time in my life. Some of you probably have much more noble examples of this, but this one kind of stands out in my mind because uh, I guess from my childhood, early teen years, something like that. But how many of you were alive in 1988? Anybody alive in 1988? Yep, in a couple of weeks, there'll be a lot who would be like, when was 1988, right? And so we... we we old folks were alive in 1988. How many of you can remember anything? This is a stretch, but we had a couple at nine. How many of you can remember anything from the 1988 World Series? Anybody? Come on. I got some sports. There's one. What happened that was amazing in the 1988 World Series? Do you remember? Yeah. Kirk Gibson. Yes, Kirk Gibson. All right, Kirk Gibson played for the Los Angeles Dodgers. It's incredible. And so they were losing four to three in the bottom of the ninth inning to uh, the Oakland A's. And they had the tying run on second. Kirk Gibson is put into pinch hit, but it wasn't just any regular pinch hit at bat. Kirk Gibson had pulled his hamstring um, earlier um, before this game. So he wasn't in the game. Coach puts him in in this situation. You get to the bottom of the ninth, two outs. You're in the World Series. The tying runs on second. The winning runs at the plate. He can hardly walk to the plate, much less swing the bat. Dennis Eckersley, who was one of the best pitchers, one of the best closers in the game of baseball, he's on the mound. And so Kirk Gibson limps into the batter's box. Uh, Dennis Eckersley throws him a pitch. Unbelievably, somehow, Kirk Gibson hits it into the stands. Home run, game over, walk off, Dodgers win. I wasn't even a Dodgers fan, and I'm jumping up and down in my room as a 13-year-old, right? And so I'm pumped. I'm jacked. It was awesome to see. He can't hardly run around the bases. He's like giving it the fist pump as he's going around the bases, you know, like he's trying to crank a chainsaw or something. You know, he can't hardly run. Just an incredible moment. And, and I love baseball so much. It, it inspired me. I was like, man, I want to do something like that. I want to, I want to be better. It made me want to work harder. It made me want to, to be like that, to, to try more, to practice more, to get after it more. When I watched something like that, it inspired me to do more, to be better. And when I think about all the people in my life and 
Then I come to scripture and I read about these people in the Bible who did amazing things. I don't know if there's one who inspires me more other than Jesus than Paul. Because when we look at this section of scripture in Acts chapter 20, we begin to see Paul has done incredible things. When we look at all of Paul's life as recorded in the book of Acts and in the letters that he wrote, we see incredible things that Paul did. We see how he persevered in tough situations to preserve the truth of the gospel. We see how he loved people who didn't love him back. It was incredible to see his life. And yet when we look at this and we see some of the things Paul did, it is inspiring We see this and I look at it and I want to be more like that. I want to have the courage and the boldness. I want to be able to walk in this humility that he had. It says that when he came to them, he came with tears. There was a sincerity in his love. It says that he went and he did all of this ministry in the midst of severe testing. In other words, the depth of his love um, kept him there. The depth of his love, he caused him to persevere. He didn't run when difficult times came. The depth of his love made him stay. He loved these Ephesians. He loved God. He wanted to do what God called him to do. He says, you know that I've not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful He's saying, despite the persecution, the opposition, I've told you everything, everything that could build you up, the truth of God's word. I haven't withheld anything from you. He says, I've declared it to you publicly. I've declared it to you privately from house to house. He's telling us, look, I haven't changed my message, whether it meant trouble for me or not. I proclaimed the truth to you. I loved you so much. I proclaimed the truth. I I did what God put me here to do. He said, I've told you to return, to turn to God in repentance. Come to God. Turn from your old ways and come to the life that God offers. And we see this, that he's been compelled by the Spirit. We know that the Spirit of God living in Paul compelled him to this kind of life. And the same Spirit that compelled him to live this way is the same Holy Spirit that we read is now compelling him to go to Jerusalem. And he says, I don't know everything that's going to happen to me, but this is what I do know. Prison and hardships await me. And he says, but I'm going anyway. He said, I'm going to do what God tells me to do. Isn't that admirable? The courage, the boldness that he has in the face of difficult times and persecution and, and, and in times where he knows he's going to go through hardship and he's going anyway. And he even says, my life's worth nothing to me. He says, it's nothing. He says, the only thing I want to do, I want to finish this race. I want to complete the task. I want to continue as long as I'm here to do what God put me here to do, to share the good news of God's grace. He goes on and he tells us that, he tells them, he says, I know that none of you among whom I have preached will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I'm innocent of the blood of any of you. For I've not hesitated to proclaim the to you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. In other words, he's telling them goodbye. He first begins and tells them, this is 
what I did among you. This is how I did this among you. And now he's coming to this place where he's saying, you're not going to see me anymore. And he's transferring this responsibility to them. But we don't need to see it stop with them. These were pastors. These were elders. But elsewhere in the Bible, Paul instructs us all to follow his example multiple times. He says, follow my example as I follow Christ. And so this transfer of responsibility is taking place. He tells them to watch over themselves, to guard the flock. He tells them to be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. He's saying, look, these, this church, it's not your church. It's God's church. He redeemed you. He paid the price for it. So listen, you're stewarding what God bought for himself. And that brings a realization. I know to me as a leader, look, I'm stewarding something that is God's. And so we're called as pastors. We're called as leaders to guard it, to protect it, to persevere in the gospel, to persevere in the truth. And each one of us individually are called to do the same thing. He tells them, I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. He's saying, you're gonna have to endure. You're gonna go through the same things that I went through, but Stand firm, be on your guard, protect the flock, feed the flock, guide the flock. Verse 32, now I commit to you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I've not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions and everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Paul's saying, look, now I'm leaving. I trust you and you're in God's hands. You, I'm gonna trust you to him. He says, but I want you to remember this. I want you to remember my way of life. I didn't come in looking to take. I came in looking to give. It wasn't that I came in to take advantage of the week. My goal was to build up the week. I didn't come in to try to take your silver and your gold. I haven't tried to get your things. I didn't want your things. He said, I came in and I wanted something for you. I didn't want something from you. And he says, this goes on in verse 36. It says, when Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. And listen to this. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. I want you to see how Paul invested in these people. I want you to see how Paul cared for these people. I want you to see, I want you to see how deeply they loved one another. Paul loved them so much that he stayed in the fight. They loved Paul so much, they were so grieved when he left. 
that they stayed in it with him. They didn't want to see him go. There was a deep relationship that it took place. And at the center of this relationship was love. But it wasn't just any kind of love. It was the love of God. And, and I want you to realize in this the power of a deep relationship centered on the love of God, bound together by the love of God, bound together by the Holy Spirit, united around the gospel of Jesus. There is power in those kinds of relationships. It's transforming. I'm sure some of you have experienced a relationship that is transforming, right? You've experienced that. I know um, for me, I guess the greatest example of that would be my relationship with my wife, Susan. I know that I have really transformed her life in a lot of good ways and she's eternally grateful. It's actually the other way around. If it had not been for her, I would have been dead in a ditch a long time ago, okay? Um, and I see though that how my relationship with her transformed me. My relationship with her empowered me. My relationship with her encourages me. It gives me courage. I know if I leave here and nobody else is with me, I'm gonna go home and she is there. And so that relationship has been transforming. And the only relationship I can think of that has a greater transforming impact on my life, and it's not really comparable at all, but I wanna give her some kudos, is my relationship with Christ. And it's the same thing that we see with Paul. See, this relationship that existed amongst Paul and the Ephesians, it was deep and it was rich. But the way this relationship existed was because of the transforming power of his relationship with God. And so Paul was transformed by God's love. God's love transformed him. God's love filled him. Paul was able to love these Ephesians in a way that was impossible before Jesus, in a way that's impossible to give if we're not receiving it. And then when I think about how he loved, I think about how he stayed, I ask the question of why did he do it? And we talked about this a couple of weeks ago in Acts chapter 9 where Paul encounters Jesus. And we talked about how Paul never got over the grace of God. And I know this for us, it should be the same way. That when we see God and we see what he's done, we should never really get over that. That transforming power, it, it happens when we begin to clearly see him. We receive his love. We receive his spirit. We begin to walk in his truth. Our mind is renewed. We're giving a, given a love that we don't possess on our own. And as he fills us, it overflows into the life of other people. But it doesn't happen apart from that relationship with God working in our lives. The transforming relationship we have with God through Jesus transforms the relationships we have with others in the world. 
See, God's love for Paul transformed him. His relationship with God transformed him. But his transforming relationship with God then led him to the ability to love others in the way that he had been loved. And that led to transforming relationships with the Ephesians. When you look at this, you can tell how deeply God impacted the Ephesians through Paul. You can tell how deeply God impacted Paul through the Ephesians. And they were united in their oneness with Christ, their relationship with Christ, the love of God. They were united to each other in love and they loved one another with a love that was deeper, that was more sincere, that was more, had more depth than what the world could ever give them. And I want you to see this. We read about these relationships. We read about the early church. It wasn't perfect, but the spirit of God was moving. They loved one another deeply. We read the instructions of Paul and the other writers of the New Testament, and we see the depth of their love for people, even people who rejected them. And I want you to see this, that the purpose of those godly relationships They exist to reveal God to the world and to fill the world with God. So that these relationships, their their purpose is not just that we have friends. The purpose is that we do life together in a way that the world looks at and they see, they realize that there's something divine about these relationships. That, that listen, they're not perfect, but we have the ability to forgive, the ability to ask for forgiveness, the ability to be courageous, not the ability to always be approved of by the world, but the ability to stand firm together even when the world disagrees or mocks or shames us and so we stand together in this love and that those relationships what the church is designed to be is relationships of people who are relating to God or walking with God but also are living in God's love together that's the purpose of those relationships is to reveal God to the world and to fill the world with God. I wanna point you to an example of this. And one example is marriage. See, the purpose of our marriages is not to make us happy. And some of y'all are like, amen. But the purpose of our marriages, listen, we approach them as if it's something that, you know, we are supposed to be getting and that it's about us and it's about our happiness and our future and all of these things. But the design of marriage is so that people in the world can look at our marriage and they don't see perfection. Uh, See, here's the thing. I've had people who acted like they had a perfect marriage, but I've never seen a perfect marriage. And so the design is that we live in such a relationship in forgiveness and love and patience and kindness that there's a joy, whether we have plenty or have little, in triumph or in trials. 
that people look and they see something that's divine. They see something that's godly. See, I feel like the one reason that Satan attacks marriages and families so hard is because his purpose is intended to point people to the relationship we have with God, Jesus, with his church, his bride, the same relationship that the groom has with his bride, unconditional love, loving one another in a way that points others to God a sacrificial love. And so godly relationships exist to reveal God to the world and to fill the world with God. But listen, these types of relationships can't exist apart from God's love. We can't do it. Apart from his love, we cannot do it. And so when I walk with him, I'm receiving from him, then I can love. And listen, the greatest expression of God comes through love. So he reveals himself in love. We fill the world with him through love, through relationships that point to him. I want you to think about the expressions of God that have come through love. John three sixteen. I forgot that verse one time when I was preaching. Some folks never let me live that down. I actually got a bracelet the next week that had John 3.16 on it. But for God so loved the world. Now, every time I mention that verse, I'm scared I'm gonna forget it. For God so loved the world that he gave his son, right? His one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God's love, who God is was expressed through love in Christ. You look at John 13, 35 and 36, he, Jesus tells them to love one another. He says, this is how people would know you're my disciples, that you love one another. First John four, I wanna read this one. First John four, verses 11 and 12. He says this, dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. In other words, God's loved us. When we walk in his love, we'll love others. He says people can't really see God in a tangible way. He says, but when God's love is living in us and we're loving others, his love is made complete in us. In other words, we become a tangible representation of the love of God. And so we see that God reveals himself in godly relationships, but they can't exist without God's love. We see that his greatest expressions of love or of who he is comes through love. But here's the thing I wanna go back to. And this is the, the, the one or two words really that jumped out at me this week as I was reading this. When Paul begins his description of what he did and how he did it, in Ephesus with them. It says, I serve the Lord with great humility. See, we can realize that God reveals himself to the world in a relationship. God fills the world 
with himself through relationship. We can realize those relationships require God's love. We can realize that the greatest expressions of God that happen are through God's love. But I want you to get this, and this is what I really want you to hear right now. All of this has been building to this. God's love cannot be expressed without humility. In other words, there's no expression No way we can express God's love without humility. Why is that? Why why is that true? Why can't we? Well, good. Uh, We'll go to Philippians chapter two to answer that. Philippians chapter two, Paul writing to the church in Philippi. I'm gonna read verse one through seven. It says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. He's saying, look, if you've received any of this from Jesus, if, and he's not asking a question like, he knows they have. He's saying, in light of this, Have the same love, be like-minded, be one in spirit, be one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. One more verse. And in being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. See, we would never see the extent of God's love. His love would have not been fully expressed had Jesus not humbled himself and went to the cross. Had Jesus not laid down his life willingly, going to the cross, taking our sin, taking the death we deserve, taking the condemnation, the judgment that should have been on us. If he had not gone to the cross, we would not have seen the full expression of his love, yet Jesus, who is the full the, the fullness of God, who is the express image of God, who had the very nature of God, who is God, who came to earth and made himself nothing, humbling himself even to the humiliation and the mocking of the cross. And in that, we see the full expression of God's love. Humility is required if others are going to see the love of God in us. Humility is required if we are going to have relationships at work, at home, at the ball field, wherever it's at that are glorifying to God. And see, pride is really the opposite of humility. And Paul gives us a pretty good definition of pride or what, how pride works itself out of our lives. When he tells us not to do anything out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. So when we think about that, what is pride? When we walk in pride, it's not really just sticking our chest out. I mean, that's, part of pride, but pride is when it's 
Our life is driven by selfish ambition. Our life is driven by what I can get. My life is driven by vain conceit. It's like I can't get out of the mirror and quit looking at myself. I'm just conceited. I'm, I'm vain. I, I can't stop putting my eyes on me. I've got to look to myself. I've got to preserve myself. It's all about me. It's all about what I get. It's all about what I do. It's all about my success. It's all about me, 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 me that the world tells us. See, we don't get that message that it's not about me from the world. But then he also tells us how, what humility looks like work it, worked out in our lives. He says, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of the others. And he says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. In other words, he's telling us, look, if you're gonna walk like Jesus, if you're gonna, if you're gonna live like Christ, if you're gonna have relationships that point to God and show who God is to the world, then you've got to have the same mindset as Jesus. You empty yourself of your rights. You begin to live for God and what he has put before you. you. You empty yourself of what you think you deserve and you realize that it's not about me. It's about the interest of others. It's about serving God. And it's about doing what he's called me to do. It's taking my eyes off of me and, and putting them on others. It's taking my eyes off of me and putting them on God and quit looking to my own wants, looking at myself all the time. And so we see that relationships, they can't be established in selfish ambition. But how many of our relationships, if we're really honest, so much of them is about what I can get and what I want and it fulfilling me. How many of our relationships fall apart or shallow because I can't quit looking at me? I can't quit, can't quit thinking about me. But in humility, I look to others. I look to the interest of others. I have the same mind as Christ that I lay down my life. I willingly choose to lay down my life. I walk in humility. As Paul says, I walk with great humility. As he says, I serve the Lord with great humility. And so humility is, is part of the foundation to healthy relationships. Humility, humbling myself before God humbling myself under his mighty hand, humbling myself before him, humbling myself before others, not trying to elevate myself over them, but humbling myself so that I can exalt him. I can lift others up. I can serve. You think about Jesus at the last supper, the most powerful person on earth, most powerful person in the room. Yet Jesus washed feet. He humbled himself. 
Humility is essential if we're going to have the relationships that reveal God to the world and fill the world with God. Humility is essential if we are going to be the church that God has called us to be. Humility. We recognize our dependence on God. Humility, we draw near to him in prayer. Humility, we come to the word seeking to see again who he is and what he's done. Humility, we keep our eyes on Jesus. Humility, I lift the others above myself. I look to their concerns, to their interests, not my own. So humility is essential. So y'all go be humble, right? Just go be humble. Everything will work out. How do we walk in humility? How do we do that, right? Because every one of us at some point in time begin to think about ourselves. We begin to think about our needs, our wants. We begin to put ourselves ahead of others. We begin to put ourselves ahead of God. If we're honest, many times that we come in to worship God is really a time we come in to worship us because we're more worried about what we get than what we give to God. So how do we walk in this? So humility begins with seeing God clearly. Humility begins with seeing God clearly. See, humility, humility, walking in humility is the result of an accurate perspective of God, ourselves, and others. It's an accurate perspective. It's the way we see. Because here's the thing that I know. I know this, I cannot see God clearly. I cannot see who he is. I cannot see what he's done. I cannot see clearly his power and his divine nature. I can't clearly see that and then stand there before him and beat my chest as though I am something or as if I am owed something. Because when I see him, I recognize the fact that I am so small in comparison to him. And in my sight of him, it is humbling to recognize how big, how powerful, how amazing he is. And in my smallness, I recognize that the God of the universe who's created all we see and even all we can't see, that this God, even though I seem small and insignificant, loved me so much that he humbled himself. He came to earth for me. Me, that I could know him. And when I recognize who he is, when I recognize what he's done, how can I stand before him in pride, thinking for one minute that this is about me? See, we don't, we're not trained to think that way. The world doesn't teach us to think that way. It's getting more and more. You can see it in sports. Nobody plays sports for the team. It's all about, it's all about the individual. 
You can see it in everything. It's no longer about us. It's about me. It's the message of the world. I got an email the other day about, I think it was from a car place. I'm not sure we had been looking for a car and and I think I got the email from a car place and the first thing it said on there, and if you work at this dealership, I'm sorry, but it said, it's all about you. I was like, well, reply. No, it's not all about me. It's about Jesus. You'll probably go to hell. <laughs> Send. I, I didn't send that email, but it would have been kind of funny. Um, but seriously, if you think about that, that's the message we're told. It's about me. That, and then even in church so many times, we're just told, be humble. Just be humble. That's good. That's good. But listen, it's not in me to just do that. Look, but when I see God... When I see what he's done, I can't stand in pride. See, pride is the result of a distorted perspective of God, ourselves, and others. Humility, seeing God as he really is, seeing who I am apart from Christ, but who I've become in Christ, seeing how I relate to others now that I have his love and I have the ability to love others. Seeing those things and humbling myself in the sight of God and what he's done, it builds relationships. It unites, it brings us together. We're full, so we're looking to give, not to take. Our satisfaction isn't in taking from you or what you have or what I can gain. My satisfaction is in the Lord. Paul's so, so sure of this, so grounded in this. He says, my life's worth nothing. He said, I can be persecuted. I'm going to go to prison. I'm going to have hardships. I'm going to have difficult times. I'm going to walk with people and they're not going to love me back. There's going to be times when it just gets rough. And, and he, he looks at that and he goes, but the one thing I know is look, I've received something from God that nobody can take away. I've received something from God that's so much better. And when I keep my eyes on the author and the perfecter of my faith, the one who loved me so much that he humbled himself, that he expressed that love even to death on the cross. When I keep my eyes on him and I keep the big perspective that no matter what happens tomorrow, no matter my successes, no matter my failures, no matter what comes even if death comes knocking on my door the reality for me is nothing can separate me from the love of God so I walk in that I cling to that and when my eyes are on that on him when I'm receiving his love, I'm walking in his spirit by faith. Listen, by believing he is who he says he is, by trusting in what he's done, I come boldly before his throne of grace in awe. I come boldly to receive grace, to receive mercy in my time of need. 
And as I walk and I receive, I walk and I receive, I'm compelled to go. I'm compelled by the Spirit. I'm compelled to go, even when I'm not loved back, even when people say bad things, even when people, you know, want to malign everything I do, even when people doubt my heart or challenge my heart, even when difficulties come and trials and tribulations, even I'm compelled. It's not within me but it's within him. And I want you to see that humility that builds relationships, that exalts Jesus, that elevates others, that looks to the interest of others above my own, it comes when I see God clearly. So how do I see him clearly? I wanna read to you real quick, and we're about to wrap up. Psalm 19, verses one through four. How do we see God clearly? Psalm 19, one, it says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the end of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. And so the writer of the Psalm, he's saying, look, if you just look at the heavens, if you look at all creation, if you look at all the world, you can see God. You can even see his glory. You can see it in the creation of all he's made. Look at the stars, look at the ocean, look at all that's around you, look at the mountains, look at everything around you and recognize that God is incredible, that he is powerful, that he is other than us. He is higher than us. He's saying, look to these things and God reveals himself. He generally reveals himself through creation through everything around us, even in this creation that's been marred by sin, we can still see, Romans 1.20 tells us we can still see his divine attributes and that we're without excuse of acknowledging that he's great, that he's huge, amazing. But then God doesn't stop there. God continues to reveal himself. In fact, the Bible is a progressive revelation of who God is and what he's like. And that progressive revelation uh, came to its fullness in the person of Jesus because Jesus is the full expression of God. He is God in the flesh revealing himself to us. He is the fullness of, of God. As we can see him, we look to him. We read his truth. We read who he was. We read what he did. We read who he is now. And this is a very specific revelation of who God is. He wants us to see this. It's a special revelation given to us through Jesus, through God's word. See, Jesus is the word made flesh. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. We can look to Jesus. We can see 
God clearly. We can see what he's like. We don't look to the world to define what God's like. We don't look to the world to define what I am. We don't look to the world to tell us how we relate to other people. We come to Jesus. We look at him. We look into his word. We see who he is. We see what he's done. We humble ourselves before him. We then come boldly in gratitude and thanksgiving and praise and worship because I'm not perfect, but I'm not like I was. I'm not perfect, but I'm no longer a stranger and an enemy to God. Now I can come to him and I'm humbled by the fact that he has done what he's done. I'm humbled by the fact that I can come to him freely and enter into his presence. I come to him and I see. I come to him in prayer and instead of just throwing out things like I'm rubbing a magic lamp hoping that the genie will pop out and do what I want him to do, I come to him and for a minute I just get still and I just remember that he's God and As I remember, I begin to thank him for who he is. I begin to thank him for what he's done. I begin to worship him because of all of that. It's transforming. It brings humility. I want to exalt God. I want to share his love with others. But listen, empty people cannot give to others their greatest need. We can't love others with the love of God unless we're being loved with the love of God. We can't fulfill our purpose to reveal Jesus in all of the world unless we're compelled by the Spirit that we're receiving, unless we're compelled by the love that we're walking in, unless I can clearly see who God is and what he's done will never fulfill our purpose. We'll forever be chained to relationships that don't fulfill their purpose. We'll forever be chained to relationships that are empty because it's for self-gratification. Relationships that I'm just looking to take and not give because I have no satisfaction in my life other than what I can grab. But when I see God, when I see God, I'm reminded. It gives me an accurate perspective of who God is gives me an accurate perspective of who I am and it gives me an accurate perspective of how I relate to other people. And in humility, I exalt him and I exalt others. See, here's the thing that if you think about it, what do we do when we see Jesus for the first time, when God reveals him to us, we humble ourselves, we surrender, 
We come because we recognize that he is who he says he is. We come because we trust in what he has done for us. And humbly, by faith, by belief, and by trust, I come to him. That's called salvation when it happens the first time. But then our life is full. It shouldn't be, listen, it shouldn't be moment by moment. Faith is not just a moment to moment thing. Faith is a moment by moment way of life, of seeing God. But the first step is salvation. And I wanna give you that opportunity today. Maybe you've never come to God in that way. Maybe you've never recognized who God really is. Maybe you've never put your eyes on this God who is so amazing and so big and so incredible, seeing how really small and seemingly insignificant you are. And yet you see this love of God that expressed itself through Jesus who bridged the gap between us and him. Maybe God's speaking to your heart. Maybe the spirit is speaking to your heart today. My prayer has been that God would open our eyes to see him clearly. And today, if you've seen him clearly for the first time, you say, I'm believing and I'm trusting in Jesus. I'm trusting him as my savior, saving me from my sin. I'm trusting him as my Lord. I'm coming and I'm humbling myself before him because of who he is and what he's done. I want nothing more than to humble myself to him as Lord. If that's you today, and it's day of salvation. I'm asking you to be bold. We're going to celebrate this. I'm asking you to stand to your feet. Listen, I know that's hard, but it's not something to be ashamed of. It's an incredible thing to witness someone trusting Jesus for the first time. So you're here, your heart's beating about a hundred miles an hour. I hope your heart's beating, but you know, this is what I want to do then. I want to pray for the rest of us, right? I want to pray for those who have seen, those who do know. Let's just pray that God opens our eyes. Father, would you do that? Would you open our eyes here this morning? Help us to see more clearly, God. God, we recognize the life that Paul lived and how incredible and inspiring. We recognize the power of relationships as we see in Paul's life with you, but with the Ephesians, Lord, we, we recognize the power of that, but God, we don't have in ourselves the ability to do that, not consistently. So Father, fill us with your spirit. God, open our eyes to see, give us ears to hear what the Spirit says to us. God, just give us the ability to be still in the chaos around us and know that you're God. Lord, I pray for those who right now are going through challenges, who are facing trials, who are facing difficult days, who are facing health issues, who are facing child issues, who are facing 
Lord, just difficult times. God, I pray in the midst of the uncertainty, they would put their eyes on you, God, who never changes. God, sometimes it's hard to do that. God, I pray that through the power of your spirit, remembering your grace we lift our eyes to you again we put our eyes on the cross to see your goodness on the resurrection to see your power we love you and thank you thank you for each person in here god i pray you'll be with them help us to fix our eyes on you lord in jesus name